0: When we think about that, when we think about the power of God that raised Christ from the dead, it's also another one of those great times of celebration that we see in Scripture. We think about today celebrating His sacrifice. And we think back to the time when we were children, there are two great times of celebration that we can think of in life. Of course, there's Christmas, right? But outside of Christmas, what's the great time of celebration in the life of the child? It's their birthday, right? their birthday and as we get older sometimes we kind of feel the pinch of life and maybe we're not as excited about birthdays as we once were and maybe that kind of goes and ebbs and flows and maybe you get a little more excited after a while but when you're a kid you're excited about your birthday right and it's a celebration and you know you might have all of the trappings of the cake and the presents and the lighting of the candles and Hilarity can ensue, maybe it's something that's uh, America's Funniest Videos quality, you know, where you see some of the, you know, blowing of the candles of the cake and, and you know, a kid, his face hits in there in the cake or whatever it may be. Or maybe it's something like my family. When I was growing up, my family, uh, we are maybe the, one of the least musical families you could ever imagine on the face of the planet and somehow we would have like three people in the room and we'd have like, we'd be singing five different keys. I don't know how that worked, but that's basically the way it worked. And so it's hilarious to go back and listen to some of the videos of happy birthday song being sung at my house. It was some of the strangest stuff. But uh, we think about celebrating of birthdays. Now here's the difference, the major difference in the somber but still celebratory difference of what Christ was celebrating with the Passover and uh, the institution of the Lord's Supper. When we celebrate a birthday, we celebrate life. But when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. Now through it, through his death, he brings life. So not only do we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, but we do celebrate life. And we celebrate birth. And that birth is our new birth being born again. We see that in John chapter 3 where he tells us that if one must be saved, you must be born again. You must be born again. One of the most beautiful word pictures that we see in all of scripture God tells us that through the death of Jesus Christ, if we give our lives to him, we turn our lives over to Jesus Christ, not only as the one who is our savior, who saves us and forgives us of sin, but the Lord of our life, then there is such a radical change that happens in our life, so much so that the best illustration of this change is if we are born again. So when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, And through his sacrifice, we celebrate our new life. Lord God, as we come now to look at this transition of the Passover celebration to the Lord's Supper and this creation of a new celebration in the Lord's Supper, may we be reminded in a sobering way of the death of Jesus Christ. And may we be reminded in a celebratory way ...of the death of Jesus Christ. God, may we be challenged and may we be reminded of those that we know that are close to us... ...that are in such desperate need of this change in their life. They need to be born again. They need to be forgiven. They need that hole in their heart that can only be filled by Jesus Christ to be filled to overflowing. God, may it also be, again, a celebratory time in which we remember the fact that that change has taken place in us. Nothing... Uh, by, By no way of our own merit, but only because of your love shown to us so graciously in Jesus Christ. And in his name we do pray. Amen. So starting before our focal passage in verse 14, we see here in verse 7, then the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed that day came. And so Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover for us. That we may eat it. The great celebratory feast of the Jews. And they said to him, where will you have us prepare it? And so he said to them, behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and tell the master of the house. The teacher says to you, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Seems like sort of some first century Jedi mind trick. You know, where is the room that we shall be eating? But no, this is the Son of God that has called them to prepare this and has prepared this way. And he will show you a large upper room, furnished, prepare it, prepare that meal there. And when they went and they found it, just as Jesus told them that they said, just as he said, they went and they prepared that Passover meal. And verse 14 says this, And when the hour had came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired, I have earnestly desired. Some of your translations say with fervent desire. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, foreshadowing of his death. He's been drawing the the funnel of his destiny to the ever closer throughout his ministry. And he'd give little foreshadowings and little peeks into really his true nature and why he was here and throughout different times in his ministry we wondered about the very density, the, the density in the head of the disciples. You know, of course, we see it on this side. We see, how could they not understand what he was saying? But with greater clarity, little snippets here and there throughout his ministry, he was showing them and revealing them to, to them the true nature of his mission. That he wasn't just the Messiah and the conquering king as the Jews thought he would be. That would be his very nature at his second coming. But he would come as the suffering lamb. And so he said, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And then he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, "This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me." And likewise, the cup. After they had eaten, he took it, saying, "This cup is poured out for you, and this is the covenant, the new covenant, in my blood." You know, he tells uh, tells the disciples here as he begins to prepare this Passover feast for them. It's easy to miss it but i think it's very important he says with fervent desire or with earnest desire i desire to eat this meal with you now we know that jesus christ was the son of god come from, come down from heaven wrapped in flesh wrapped in a body he was the eternal son of god and we see even in places like hebrews chapter 3 and colossians chapter 1 that it tells us that jesus christ the second person of the trinity god the son was in fact the agent and creation because we see certain passages where the Father, uh, Yahweh, the, our God the Father was addressing God the Son in Hebrews and in Colossians and other places in the Psalms. And we see that he's speaking to him, he's speaking to the Son, referring to him as God. Not only that, but he's attributing to the Son creative attributes. That he spoke the world into existence. We see in the first chapter of Colossians, we even see not only that, that Jesus Christ was the agent in creation... ...but he is the one that sustained all of creation by his very word. All of this comes together to paint a picture of the fact that the one who stepped out of heaven... ...the one who was born in a manger was none other than the eternal God, God the Son... And yet, here he was. He came to great lengths for the zeal of the glory of the Father. And he came to great lengths to save mankind, those who were created in the image of God. He went to such great lengths that he came and he wrapped himself in flesh, walked among us, susceptible to all of the temptations that we were tempted with, yet without sin, a spotless lamb without blemish. And yet, he came to the end of his mission, that he came to die. The sacrifice for our sins. Yet when we see all of that, we can sometimes forget the humanity of Jesus. The humanity of Jesus that was amplified beyond even our humanity. His love for his fellow brothers and and sisters. Because we can forget that because we can see him in terms of his mission. And we can often forget that he too was not only God, but he was man. He was the God-man. Amplified by the fact that he had a limitless love. Not the sort of love that we have, but the love of God wrapped in flesh. And so we see that he comes here to this place with his inner twelve, with his disciples. They prepared this meal and he says, with fervent desire, with a zealous love, I desire to eat this with you. What's a reminder of here? It's a minor point in our, in our passage today, but yet it's something that we can't gloss over. The love of God for us, the love of Jesus Christ for his, the true love for his followers. You know, again, we, we've talked about many times before, I even mentioned it in a prayer earlier today, that when we look at the other religions of the world, at very best, you might have a God who is per, somewhat personal, and yet shows mercy upon the adherents of whatever this religion might be. Some major religions of the world... Um, actually ascribe to and adhere to a belief system that says that God is absolutely impersonal. It's much like a force of the universe. And if the scales of the balance of the scales of your life weigh out to the good in the end, then somehow that sort of force of the universe might kind of show pity or favor upon you and you might be ushered into whatever version of eternal life they ascribe to but the great God of heaven, the one true God, Yahweh, the one who simply is, as that name means. He is so loving and personal that he came to us in the form of his son, Jesus Christ. And he loves us. He cares for us. We don't follow an impersonal God, but we follow a personal God. One that could come in no more personal way than he did to the sending of his son, Jesus Christ. And so he says, with fervent desire, I celebrate this Passover with you. This Passover, the great uh, celebration of the Jews that hearkened back to the Exodus in which the children of Israel had grown great in number in the land of Egypt so much so to the Pharaoh that had not known the God of Moses began to get really worried because they were growing in number and he feared for his kingdom. And so what did he say? Well, I'm going to enslave them, I'm going to make it harsh upon them. And he took many, uh, many uh, different tasks at hand in order to limit the growth of these people. And in fact, it came to the point where uh, God called out to Pharaoh, or, or Moses called out to Pharaoh on behalf of God and he said, let my people go. God is saying to you, let my people go. The Pharaoh refused and God said, well, I'm going to bring plagues upon the land because you refuse to obey Plague after plague until the greatest plague came along, which was death of the firstborn. And God, through Moses, spoke to the people and he said, Here's what you do to prepare for the night in which the angel of death will come to the camp. You slaughter a lamb and you put its blood upon the the doorposts of your home. And that way God will pass over the house. The angel will pass over the house as you're covered in blood. Your house and proverbially your home and your family are covered in blood. And through this time, through this celebration, they continue to celebrate this time, this provision of God, God's redemption on their behalf, as well as God's provision for them in the wandering of the wilderness. And we see that this was a great celebration, a great time of remembrance for the people of Israel. And then we come to this time and Jesus begins to transition this celebration as it was a great foreshadowing, not only of the lambs that would be sacrificed, not only The ones that would on the day of atonement be sacrificed for the sins of man, but also it foreshadowed that great lamb. The one without spot, the one without blemish, the one that would come and sacrifice himself for us. And so the first thing that we see here is he was transforming a celebration Jesus Christ in his coming, and this night when it was kind of coming to a head at the table with his disciples here, he began to transform this celebration of the Passover, showing again in great fullness and clarity that this Passover was a celebration. It was a foreshadowing of him. He was the one that would come. And so he said here, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Not only did it look forward, but it looked forward to even greater until it finds its final fulfillment, the the feast portion, in that great banquet in the eternal state, in the heavenly state, and when it's seen in a full and freshness and an eternal expression in that great heavenly banquet. And trust me, you want an invite to that meal. You know, we think about in our country, we have exclusivity of clubs and country clubs and things like this. Five of the most exclusive country clubs in all of the world, uh, not even on the list, is Augusta. I think they saved it. I think they said that these are the ones outside of Augusta National. The top five in all of the world, Pebble Beach in California, Shadow Creek in Nevada, the old course St. Andrews in Scotland, Muirfield in Scotland as well, and Pine Valley, believe it, in New Jersey made number one on at least this list. Old, this old country club cut out of pine barren land, and you think about the exclusivity of this. You can't play in these clubs. You can't come to these clubs unless it's at a personal invite of a member. Now, here's the difference between that great banquet in the sky. You want an invite there, but it is not a, a, an invite that is filled with exclusivity. God has reached down to you through the person of Jesus Christ, and He said, "Anyone." Anyone can come unto me freely. He doesn't say you got to clean up your life. You don't got to fix certain issues in life. You don't got to kind of bring your good standards up to this standard right here. And then, okay, that's good. Now you can come to Jesus Christ. He says, in the words of the song that we sang not too few minutes ago, he says, Come as you are. Come as you are until it's fulfilled in the kingdom. He drinks with them. He fervently desires. And he said to them in verse 15, Again, I earnestly desire to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. In verse 16 he says, For I tell you I won't eat it again until the fulfillment of the kingdom of God. And in verse 17 he says, And then he took a cup. Probably the first cup. In the Passover Seder there were four cups. This is probably the first cup of Thanksgiving. And he took it and he said when he had given thanks, Take this and divide it among yourselves. Sometimes there were were cups in most of these celebrations. Each person had a cup but it spoke to their unity. He says, take this cup, divide it amongst yourselves. For I tell you that from now on again, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. It looked to two different events. It looked forward to the cross and also again that great banquet. That great celebration, the full consummation. When we we come to Jesus Christ as our Savior, he saves us from our sin. We know that our destiny is held in heaven and we go and we celebrate we celebrate in the unfiltered presence of Jesus Christ. And in verse 19 we see this. And he took the bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and he gave it to them saying. This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after he had eaten he's saying. And this is the cup poured out for you. Is the new covenant in my blood. So the second thing that we see is not only first of all is he transforming a celebration of the Passover. But secondly he's creating the celebration, the very thing that we celebrate to this day, the Lord's Supper. And so first of all, we see here that he says, And we took the bread, he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said to them, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. You know, It makes us think of that great passage in 2 Peter 4.4, or 4, it says, or 1 Peter 2.24 rather, He who himself bore our sins in his body on the tree... Euphemism for the cross, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree. So what it says there is that Jesus Christ, as he hung upon the cross as a sacrifice for us, not only did he endure the physical pain and the physical reality of that sort of uh, uh, troubling death, but on his shoulders heaped upon him, and in his body was the very sum total of our sin. That is, he hung upon that cross. He took our cross. He took our sins, and in exchange, we received his righteousness. So he says, "This is my body. do this." In remembrance of me, the Seder, it looked backwards in celebration of that great Passover. The Passover of, of the angel passing over and also it looked at, at God sustaining them in the wilderness. As well as, as shortly after that time of the original Passover, they were, they were led into the wilderness. And God throughout that time, he led them and he guided them. Do this in remembrance of me. It looked backwards to that celebration and it also looked forward to God's full plan of redemption foreshadowing Jesus Christ so he says this do this in remembrance of me in verse 20 as well he says and likewise he took the cup after they'd eaten after a typical Passover Seder meal there were there were two more cups making a total of four this one was probably the third followed by in in the in the typical Passover celebration they would sing the halal which was the Psalms 113 through 118 which is Kind of the praise you psalms where they would say between this cup, the third and the fourth, they would say, praise you God. Praise you as you look at those psalms of 113 through 118. It's all about praise you God for who you are. Praise you for your grace. Praise you for your mercy. Again, as Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, it's a time of praise and of celebration for what Christ has done. And he says again, this is the cup this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. You know, We think about the covenants throughout Scripture, the old covenant and the new. Exodus 24, 8 says this, Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it upon the people, and he said, This is the blood of the new covenant that the Lord has made with you. This is the blood of the covenant, rather, that the Lord has made with you in accordance to all these words. It followed that time in which uh, God had given Moses the law, God had given Moses uh, those, those ten commandments and the, f- the fuller explanation of those. And, and following that time in Exodus 24, he consecrates the people unto God and he seals the covenant with blood. But then we see a great speaking ahead, we see a great look ahead to the time in which the second covenant would be a covenant written upon the hearts of mankind. And we see that in Jeremiah chapter 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with their people of Israel at that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and I will write it upon their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. You see, when we think of these covenants, when we think of covenant in general, it's a covenant as an agreement between two parties. Usually, one of those parties is stronger. And in the case of most covenants, with one party being stronger, it's a case in which the, the, the stronger party agrees to protect the weaker, and the weaker agrees to serve the stronger. Now God's not enforcing his hand, he's obviously the stronger party in the covenant, but he is not heavy handed with us, but he is a loving, loving God to be in covenant with. And so we see here in God's first covenant, it was was sealed and it was characterized by the law, but the second covenant is characterized by the law will be in our hearts as Jesus Christ comes into our life and he changes our life and he comes to dwell within us. The law of God, the goodness of God, the righteousness of God comes to dwell within to the person of Jesus Christ. And we partake of the second covenant. You know, it's very interesting, one of the greatest pictures in all of Scripture that kind of lays this out and lays out these differences in the beautiful progression of God's revelation of his redemption in Scripture is written, through the, uh, written by the author of Hebrews, probably Paul, but uh, written by the author of Hebrews. And we see in this great book of Hebrews, written obviously to the Hebrews, uh, many of those dispersed throughout the known world at the time. Uh, The writer of Hebrews is making a case unto his Jewish brethren, some of them recent converts uh, to Christianity, some of them still struggling with it. And And he compares and contrasts throughout that book the first covenant, the old covenant, and then the new and he says, look into this time of the old covenant when uh, when blood the blood of lambs and goats had to be sacrificed so that th- there might be a putting away or the delaying of the penalty of sin. It's almost like a, a credit card in which you're only paying the kind of minimum balance. It's never being wiped out completely. The minimum balance is being paid and that's it. And he says, year after year, year after year, on the day of atonement, there's a sacrifice for the, for the sins of the people and it's simply a delay. It's simply a delay putting it off but he said when the second covenant came into place when Jesus Christ came the great sacrificial lamb of God came once for all a sacrifice once for all and what's very interesting here in the book of Hebrews it is written to Hebrews that are dispersed throughout the, the known world at the time. And the trade language of the day was Greek. And so even though it's a book of Hebrews, in the original language, it was written in Greek. And the word that's used there, the Greek translation of the word covenant, is also used by the writer of Hebrews to mean will as well. It's the, the word diotheke. And it can be translated to mean covenant as we know it and also to be translated will, like a will, a last will and testament. that sort of a will. And so he uses this throughout scripture very deftly under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, of course, to say this covenant and this will. And we know that anytime time a will is made and we see him even lay out this argument in the book of Hebrews, when a will is made, it is payable upon death. When someone dies the, that relative when that relative dies then the will is dispersed in the same way the covenant of God and the very will of which when we came to know Christ as our savior we are adopted into the family of God that that will took effect upon the death of Jesus Christ and we too as we see throughout scripture we are adopted into the family of God when we knew Christ as our savior and we become full beneficiaries of every bit of what God has to offer. Redemption, righteousness, holiness. As we think about the living of our life, the abundance of life, two covenants, Jesus, two wills, the will of God given to us through Jesus Christ. And finally, a word there that may be often missed. He says, again, this cup is poured out for you, for you. We book in these two things when Jesus Christ, at the beginning of this passage, says that he earnestly desired to celebrate this Passover with those that he'd spent three years of his life with. And again, he says, This is the covenant for you, for you. And those two words ring true and ring out in our ears even in 2015. It reminds us of his death, his sacrifice becomes extremely personal. Not only did Jesus Christ come, of course, most importantly for the glory, the zeal for the glory of God to ring true in all the earth, but also we were created in the image of God and his love for us. Sacrifice. Not just an ideal, but it became a very personal application for us because of the very love of God shown through Jesus Christ. And we think too, Jesus says that I will not eat this, I will not drink this again until we do it in heaven. Here's the question for all of us. Will we be there? Will you be there? Will you be present at that banquet? Will you be present with God? Will you be present in the unfiltered presence of God in the presence of Jesus Christ as we join together and celebrate that meal, celebrate it anew and afresh? when you look at the covenant, the second covenant of God, when you look at the fact that Jesus Christ came and sealed it with his blood, sealed it with his death upon the cross, have you, have you taken your response? Have you responded to Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to him? And Lord God, when we come to you this morning, I pray now for those that are here, that have not come to that place in life where they have given their lives to your son Jesus Christ. God, maybe some of them have been struggling for weeks and months and they just cannot seem to give over control of their life. Whatever it may be, I just pray that whatever it is that stands in the way that hinders them today, Lord God, may they let go of it. May they trust you that your will, your way, your life God, making covenant with you. God is the absolute best of life. God, where they lay down whatever it is that, that keeps them today from fully surrendering to Jesus Christ. God, I just pray that even in this place today, that this might be the day of salvation in their hearts. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. And now we do come to